Thanks to ZipRecruiter, the presenting sponsor of Recode Decode. You know what's not smart? Investing in cryptocurrency named after an internet meme. You know what is smart? Hiring with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. It's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview from the 2018 Code Conference, which I co-produced with Recode's executive editor, Peter Kafka. This is an interview I did with Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft. Let's take a listen. about. I can't believe we actually, I covered the Microsoft trial. I remember well. Yes, I, I remember seeing you in the halls of Congress. Yes, I did. I was there the whole time, uh, just wandering around trying to write things for the Washington Post. So let's start there because, you know, it wasn't, it was a long time ago, but Microsoft has been through this and it was Microsoft the scary, Microsoft the monopolist. You got your head handed to you by, mm-hmm. by the investigation. Um, let's talk about that experience right now because I think it's a really good thing to think about um, when you, oh, look, that came in really close there. There's just a camera that came in. Um, let's talk about that and what happened in that experience from your perspective. Um, it's interesting because at one level it feels like yesterday to some of us who lived through it. And for many people who work in the tech sector today, they sort of never heard about it. Right. Um, but it was a gut-wrenching experience, I think it's fair to say, for those of us who uh, worked at Microsoft at the time. Um, as I like to say, we went from being the New York Mets to the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we were the, the, the little team, and then all of a sudden we were this behemoth that lost everybody's support. And we ended up with the U.S. government, states all coming after us in a case that we uh, you know, lost on an appeal in 2001. And I think as much as anything, there were uh, a couple of things we learned. Um, One is, uh, I think if you create technology that changes the world, the world is going to want to govern you. Mm -hmm. It's going to want, in some measure, to regulate you. Uh, And you have to come to terms with that and figure out how you're going to navigate that and, and step up to the responsibilities that the world wants you to assume. And the second thing was actually very personal in a way. You have to develop the ability to look in the mirror and see yourself not the way you see yourself, but the way other people see you. And guess what? They don't think you're quite as good looking as you thought you were. Right. And you have to sort of internalize that. Scary monster was Microsoft at the time. Yeah, it's. I think that's not an unfair way to characterize. Certainly, the way we were perceived by some. Absolutely. But getting away from perception, let's talk about what you all did wrong in that in leading up to it and then during the trial. We can leave out uh, Bill's terrible, terrible deposition, but, or you can talk about it if you want. Um, but w- go look at it, it was terrible. Um, talk about what you all did wrong in the lead up to it, the things that you didn't see coming. Well, I think in some ways, the, the thing that, one thing that we did at Microsoft that I think perhaps speaks more broadly to tech today is the Justice Department uh, argued that Microsoft had a monopoly, that Windows was a monopoly. 
And we said, no, Windows is not a monopoly. Look, anybody can come in, things can change. We may have a high market share, but it's all temporary. Um, not only did we lose that argument in court, I think we lost it in the court of public opinion. And in some ways, it was maybe the worst argument to lose. Maybe it was the worst argument to make. Mm -hmm. Because what people were fundamentally saying to us is, look, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility that comes with this market share. And what they heard us saying is, no, we don't. And I think at bottom, a lot of what we're seeing today is people asking the tech sector, do you get it? Do you understand that perhaps in the history of business, there has never been an economic sector quite so intertwined with every other economic sector, and there's never been an industry that has been so global. And yeah, I, I think that, you know, frankly, one of the things that Mark Zuckerberg did well when he testified was he said, we understand that regulation may be in order. It's a way of saying we understand that government has a role and we have a responsibility. Right. But is it, to, to, I want to get finished with you. What did you yeah. do wrong? You misperceived well, what they thought of you. Well, look, the, you, the, the, the essence of the antitrust case right. itself, for those who don't recall their 1990s history, because it's 20 years old at this point, was Netscape arose. Mm -hmm. you know, it had a browser that gained substantial market share. People saw it as a potential rival to Windows. Microsoft created its own browser called Internet Explorer. It put the browser into Windows. And then there were a variety of steps associated with you know, how it was marketed, how it was sold, agreements with others. And the Justice Department argued that in multiple ways, Microsoft engaged in marketing and sales and even product integration uh, techniques that violated the Sherman Antitrust Act. Right. So what could you, when, when you were in it, within the meetings with Bill and Steve, what could have what giving people insight now into what they could be doing as this regulation moves forward. And I want, then I want to talk about what do you think is happening. Well, I think at its heart, one has to decide: Are you going to fight, or are you going to try to work things out? Mm -hmm. you know, that, you know, at, at Microsoft in 1998, we basically said we are going to fight this. In 1999, 2000, we said we were going to fight this, and then in 2001, after we lost, we said, okay, we're going to work this out. <laughs> Um, my advice in general, not always, because yeah. you know, it's like anything, you can oversimplify, yeah. but you know, you've got to be open to working things out. You, the, the, the truth is, if we had worked things out in 1998, we might well have been able to uh, work them out before it became the antitrust version of nuclear war, mm -hmm. literally trying to break the company up. That's what the government pursued. That's what the district judge ordered. You have to solve problems when they're small enough to be solved, and you've got to do that early, not so What late. was it in your culture that didn't? Was it the, the aggressive nature of Bill? Was it... Well, I the think shy, the shy look, and retiring. I, no, no. I think look, I, every every startup on the planet mm -hmm. that succeeds succeeds with this ambition, this enthusiasm. Maybe it even takes a little bit of over exuberance to to change the world. You know, it takes big egos even to change the world. Mm -hmm. And then there comes a moment in time when you're not the startup anymore. And you have to recognize when that moment comes and you have to be prepared to shift, you have to mature, you have to listen, you have to build relationships, and you have to compromise. And I think one of the things one needs to think about in these situations is that it actually, in my view, takes more courage to compromise mm -hmm. than it does to fight. But in a company that is built on this enormous energy, 
it is, unfortunately, I think sometimes easy to say, oh, these people who want to compromise, they're the weak ones. We're going to be strong. We're going right. to fight. I think it's the opposite. It takes courage to compromise. And it does come from a culture. A culture. I remember having a lunch with Bill Gates at the Washington Post. I don't know if you were there. Uh, I, was, I was not was, at that it, lunch. It was right yeah. before, it was before this in the mid-90s. And he arrived in a cab by himself, the whole fell out of a cab, all sloppy and stuff. And he came upstairs and he proceeded to insult the entire Washington Post power structure, which I was fascinated with. And, and I actually said to the head of the Washington, the editor of the Washington Post at the time when they asked a question, that's the stupidest question I ever heard. I'll never forget it. And I was like, the stupidest, really? Come on, it can't be possibly the stupidest. But one of the things he said Yeah, it is, could because I was yeah. told that I had asked that question yeah, myself exactly. perhaps on one occasion. Um, it, was, it was well known in Microsoft that that yeah, phrase was used. Stupidest question. And he, one of the things he said that struck me, I'll never forget it, was that we don't have lobby. What do we need you people for? We don't have to bother with you. And I put up my hand and I said, except Washington is full of ex-student body vice presidents with subpoena power. So yeah, you do. And it was, you know, and after that, it was a downhill relationship with him and me. Um, but right now, let's fast forward to today, what's going on. What was the impact on you after you compromised? Do you think it really, Microsoft lost the step it needed or? Um, you know, there's, it's fascinating because you get a lot of different perspectives on, um, you know, where did we succeed, where did we fail, and why in the wake of the antitrust issues. My own personal view, having been in the middle of it for so long, was the single greatest cost was the distraction. Having a Bill Gates, a Steve Ballmer, great engineering leaders at our company spending so much time figuring out you know, how to prepare for a deposition, you know, how to defend themselves on the witness stand, how to implement this, that, or the other thing. Um, and you, know, you look at the early 2000s, we missed search. Would it was we? A big one. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it was, and it wasn't the only thing we missed. Obviously, mobile it, phones. That, yeah. Yeah. It, the, yeah. yeah it, I, I do think one has to, you know, sort of have the recognition that nobody's going to catch everything. Yeah. And there's no company here yeah. or anywhere else that is going to see every trend before it emerges. Right. But would we have seen these things if we had been spending more of our time looking right. for them than looking at these specific issues? It's a great imponderable. It's a hypothetical. We'll never know for sure. But I will say the odds of seeing these things would have been higher. Would have been higher. So looking forward to today. Now, the company's changed so drastically in terms of how it is. Y'all look friendly now. Like, it's weird. I, I, someone was like, remember when Microsoft was scary? And like, of course, all these 12-year-olds in the room were like, what? Like, what are you talking Microsoft's not scary. They're lovely. Um, where do you put Microsoft now in this group? Um, I would like to say that we are, you know, in the top tier in terms of large companies seeking mm -hmm. to innovate at scale. But I also think that we took that weakness, that weakness of just not knowing how to deal with the world, mm -hmm. and by, we, because we were forced to look it in the eye, over time we developed some strengths there. Um, you know, and so we are trying to navigate the world. I think it's a huge benefit to have a CEO who grew up on one continent and has lived his adult life on another. Um, you know, we have this, we talk every day about the responsibility that goes with the opportunities that we have in front of us. And I, I think we work hard to really try to define what those responsibilities mean for us. So how do you keep innovation up then if you can't have that aggressive nature within the company? Well, you know, it's interesting because you know, the, the, your, your question equates innovation with being aggressive. Right. 
And I think if you think about our industry the way people thought about it 25 years ago, where it was fundamentally, call it young, typically men, yeah, right yes. out of college, yeah. Right. yeah. But that's not who we should aspire to be. Mm -hmm. I think what we need to build, not just at Microsoft, but across the industry, is a more inclusive approach to developing creativity. That frankly, I think it's an imperative in the world today. The, you know, we, we all work around the world. The notion of having some West Coast all male orientation to how you innovate, I think is actually a, a, a huge problem, even just from the perspective of trying to be successful. Um, I will always remember when Satya Nadella became the CEO in early 2014. Uh, you may recall there was a, a well-known cartoon of Microsoft at the time. It had the different engineering groups all with like guns pointed at yeah. each other. Um, so we had the first meeting of our senior leadership team and Satya brought us each a book. Mm -hmm. The book was called The Art of Nonviolent Communications. All right. A rather different From book. Microsoft, as I recall, yeah. Yeah, oh, and you might even say it's different for a lot of what we associate Absolutely. with Absolutely, I just remember culture. the story of yeah. Oak cans being thrown at each other's heads. It, 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 so yeah, no, this was nonviolent communication. Right. You know, and it's called really bring out what people have inside them. Mm -hmm. Especially in, in a new era where you have so many young people that have a very different expectation. I, I think if you're under 30, you don't expect that you're going to have to wait until you're 40 for somebody to think about your idea. You expect it to be heard tomorrow. Yeah. So you just need to create a different culture of innovation. And I think that is one thing that we have been working to do. So let's talk about that. Let's, I want to get to the immigration issue yeah. first. You guys have been very upfront compared to most tech companies. Talk a little bit about this because it's put you at odds with uh, that we're going to have Linda McMahon on next from the Trump administration. But talk about that, like what the thinking is behind what you're going to do with Washington given the hostility towards immigration. I think it's a huge problem. Uh, you know, we've adopted a philosophy vis-a-vis -vis this White House, or you could argue with any government. It's like, let's partner where we can, let's stand apart when we should. And you know, for us, it has been clear since the first month of this administration that immigration was an issue on which we needed to stand apart. We always try to keep it principled. You won't hear us you know, throwing personal insults, but at the level of principle, you know, we fought against the travel ban, um, you heard us, you might have heard me the day after the DACA decision was announced, saying that if any of our employees who are DACA registrants uh, face deportation, we will defend them in court, we will be by, there by their side, you know, et cetera. Um, the, uh, you know, we, we have filed our own lawsuit together with Princeton University and a Princeton student against DACA. We've won that at the district court level. And I fear that this could be a, a tough summer. Mm -hmm. uh, really for three reasons. I, I, I fear that we won't see a compromise come together on DACA. I fear that we may see the administration seek to revoke the uh, work authorization for spouses of H-1B visa holders. Virtually every company has either people who are in H-1s whose spouses work today under this H-4 authority, or you have your own employees. We have 98 employees who are here on an H-4. They will lose their jobs if this administration revokes that authority. Mm -hmm. So that shoe could drop. There's another shoe that could drop. The Obama administration extended the time that a student with a STEM background could work under what's called optional practical training to get an H-1B visa. And that could be cut back, and at which point we could have thousands of people suddenly unable to work. 
And I just think that this is terrible for the country, it's terrible for the tech sector, and it is a tragedy for the individuals involved. And we may need us to use our voice as an industry, not just with the public, not just in, in Congress, but we may need to continue to go to court. So what do you do? What do you talk about that? Like, what are your options? How hostile can you be? How loud can you be? Because I think one of the oh. things when I was talking to uh, around the first immigration and then the transgender thing happened, it just was one thing after the next. Like, what do you look like? Cut it up among you. Like Google will do the transgender. I'll do the immigration. We'll do. I just like what happens. Well, first of all, I think it's important that as much as possible we all stand together. Right. I think this industry has been united, and I think that's important. Uh, and I think it's important for us to build alliances with other industries as well. That's one. Two. I think we need to be firm in our resolve to take whatever action we can. That means using our voice, it means using our lawyers, it may mean standing behind our employees and if necessary, giving them the ability to work in Canada instead of the United States. I do think there's a third dimension. We have to, again, demonstrate that we do understand there are arguments on the other side and we listen and we get it. And I think that there's two arguments on the other side we need to think about and we need to act upon. The first is, look, we don't want this to be a country where the only people who succeed are people who move here from other places. Mm -hmm. We need to keep investing in more computer science education, more digital skills, more broadband access for Americans, including Americans in rural counties who are being left behind. And we as an industry can and should do more in, in that space. So, so that is one thing that I think we need to do. Second. I do believe we need to use our voice to be supportive where we can of a reasonable compromise in Congress. I think it would be a great mistake for us to say that people who advocate for border security have nothing to commend in their views. We need to listen and see if there's a basis for common. But what ground. is the compromise? But it, you know, when it, 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 the other side, it, it really isn't very compromise oriented. It seems like it's like build a wall, build a wall, build a wall, keep them out. Well, the, I mean, the, the first thing one sees when one goes to the border with Mexico is there are many parts of Mexico that have a wall. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, this is not a border that is without walls. It may not be you know, in, in its entirety. Well, but it's political theater was going It on. is political yeah. theater, and I think that's part of the problem. I worry a lot that we could just see a lot of political theater across the political spectrum between now and now. You worry a lot that we're going to see a lot of political theater? Yeah, I, I think, think we're deep, deep into, deep into fair that Fair enough, fair, fair enough. But, you know, you go to the border. I mean, I'm yeah. struck. I've been to the border with, with, with Mexico. You go to the eastern part of Texas, which is the, there's a 40-mile stretch which is the number one entry point, not just for uh, you know, illegal migrants, but for drugs. Uh, in this 40-mile stretch, there are 10 miles of wall, there's 30 miles of open space. If you looked at the technology that is being used to watch what is happening at the border, you would say, this was like state-of-the-art 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I stood next to a fellow whose job it is to watch these monitors for on a 10-hour shift, and he switches between the monitors manually with an Xbox controller. Mm -hmm. Hey, look, I love Xbox, but come on. I mean, right. I think we can do a little bit better with the Internet yeah. of Things. Yeah. And then we need an orderly process. You know, we should want a process where people can present themselves in an orderly way. They can apply for asylum if they believe they're entitled to it. They get represented by counsel, especially if they're an unaccompanied child. You know, it's, you know, there is room, I believe, for 
common ground if people want to find it. I think the number one problem is basically what you alluded to in, a, in an era of such disagreement. I just don't know that people are. So, looking what do for tech companies do as a group of people? The three things. Give me three things. Well, look, I, I happen to believe that the most important thing we need to do every day is stand up for our employees. You know, these are people who invest in some cases not just their jobs and their careers with us, but when you're talking about people from other countries, they're, they're investing us with some responsibility for, for where they live and how, how they live. So number one, stand up for our uh, employees. Number two, I think show that we are committed and are taking action to creating opportunities for everyone in the country and not just people that come here from somewhere else. And number three, to the extent we can, even in an age where it seems like the loudest insult is what ends up with the biggest headline, we need to preserve some sense of normalcy, of decency, of an ability to you know, reach across an aisle and encourage some real dialogue. Well, how did that meeting at Trump Tower go for you? know, I called you all sheeple when you went, but um, you didn't say anything about immigration. You didn't stand up. You didn't oh, no, no, no. You're talking about the one in the... The first one. No, we actually did. Absolutely. To him in a room without public out... No, that's true. Yeah, that, look, I, I... I love all your little quiet rooms, but I'd, I'd love it to, if you... Well, I've, look, I, I, I will say, you know, first of all, as a matter of just sort of operating principle and practice, every meeting that I've had with this White House, I've always brought up immigration. Right. I just want people to know that it matters to our fundamental ability to be successful as a, as a tech sector based in the United States. And then, you know, do we use our voice outside? Yeah, I, I, I think we do, Kara. I mean, come on. I mean, we've sued the, we've sued the administration. Right. Um, you know, we've gone to, to, to Congress. I think it's fine that we don't insult people at a personal level. I don't think that should be the litmus test for whether we're firm in our resolve. All right, let's finish up talking about what you're looking at going forward, yeah. AI. Um, diversity, you could talk about any of these things, but what, what do you think the key issues for Microsoft and the tech industry, or is it being broken up? The idea, you know, you all face that. Now there's a lot of calls for breaking up Facebook. We're gonna ask Cheryl about that later. Um, and Google and others. How do you look at that? Um, let me just uh, maybe pick two things all right, okay. you know, that, that you put that I think are really important for all of us. Um, one is we need to think about a future with artificial intelligence, which really involves two fundamental things. One is empowering, let's, let's call it empowering computers to make more decisions that to date have been made by human beings. And the second is the massive use of large data sets. And we need to take the kind of approach that will stand the ethical test of time. Uh, and that means that we're gonna have to engage in dialogues around the world about what it means to have people's data what is the self-restraint we're gonna exercise when it comes to people's data? What kind of regulatory dialogue will we have around the world when it comes to the use of data? And I think the other part of that is really you know, developing a, a, a set of ethics around what we will empower computers to do. We've published six ethical principles that we're trying to use with our engineers mm -hmm. to at least carry that dialogue forward. We all have way more to learn than we've learned How so do you far. assess the impact of the face, what happened around Facebook? When you look at them, what did you think as you were watching those hearings? Thank God it's not me or what? Well, well, I, I've been there. Yeah. You know, the first thing I looked at is said, you know, I've been there, and I'm glad I'm not there today. Mm -hmm. um, but we all take our turns. 
Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's easy to say, you know, my business model is different from your business model, right. and it is. I'm doing something that is more responsible than you are. Maybe I am, but at the end of the day, a tech company to the general public may just be a tech company, and we all need to just right. think together about how we manage our way through one that of the One of the tech leaders who is not Facebook said it's like a viral contagion. They're, they're like making a mess over here, and we're all suffering as a group. So you're saying that's okay? Well, the, th the thing that has bothered me about the dialogue in the industry is I've talked to too many people at other tech leader, leaders, big companies, that say, we don't want to do anything with, with them because they have the flu. Right. You know what? You know, we all have to work together. We are all, you know, in this together. Uh, and, you know, we will all have our days when we need somebody to stand by our side which is why I've been quick to say, hey, if Facebook is doing something that is important and advancing the good of the world, as they often are, often do, we will stand by them, and we do, and we will. Doesn't mean that we adopt their business model, but you know, we need to work together. But then I go to the, uh, the one other issue I, I, I would raise. Diversity and inclusion right. is one of the issues. Let me ask you one question before we issues. get that. Yeah, sure. let me get that. So I asked Tim Cook this on, on the MSNBC show. What would you have done if you were Mark Zuckerberg? And he made a response that Mark didn't like, which was, I wouldn't be in his position to start with. I, you know, look. And then he had a very cogent yeah. explanation of privacy. I, I remember when I saw a leader of another tech company asked, when they were under the antitrust lens, whether they would handle it better than Microsoft. And he said, We've studied the mistakes that Microsoft made. We won't make the mistakes that Microsoft made. And I was in the room listening to it, that, and I said, that may be true, but you know what? We all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. No one should ever assume, in my view, that somehow we've got it all figured out and we're never going to have our difficult days. I think that Facebook is working through a very challenging situation and the rest of us need to work through our own challenging situations. This is not a world where one or two companies have challenges and the rest of us do not. All right, finish up on diversity and we'll get to questions. Well, I just think that it's one of the fundamental challenges for our industry of our time. And I think that we all have a lot of work to do. Uh, and I think there's a need for us to come together and change. Uh, and it's not easy. And it takes a long-term commitment because it is not something that is turned around, at least in every Ever. respect. Yeah, you know, in, Numbers the, remain the same the, in I, all aspects. The, the one thing I will say is when I became the general counsel of Microsoft, this was in 2002, 22% of our lawyers were women. Um, this is a profession in the United States where 35% of the lawyers are women. Two months ago, we reached the point where just over 50% of our lawyers are women. Right. It took 16 years of sustained In a profession work. where there are a lot, where there's a lot of yes, large but it, but one of the things it took was never take the percentage of women in the profession as your own ceiling. You, you should, at a minimum, seek to perform against the demographics of your profession and then seek to outperform the profession so Why doesn't that happen, from your perspective? I think we are beginning. I think that we are living at a time when, aw when awareness is growing, and I think that's a good thing. People are feeling pressure. That is not a bad thing. Um, to me, the number one thing that had changed at Microsoft, which I was very happy to see change, was two years ago when we said that we not only were going to measure everybody, but we were going to establish goals, and the annual bonuses of the senior leadership team and the CEO would be based in part on whether those goals were achieved. It's like everything in business 
If you pay people to perform, guess what? They perform. And if you don't pay them to perform, good luck. I don't think that the odds of success are nearly as high. Great. Last question I have, and then we'll get some questions with the audience. Years ago, Bill would always say he had, an, he had various enemies he'd identify, whether it was Google or blank. blank. Who's your enemy right now? Do you have one? I don't, I, I, don't get, you know, I don't get up in the morning and think, who's my enemy? I do get up in the morning and think, what's our challenge? And I, I think our fundamental challenge as an industry today is that we have gained such a level of impact and influence on a global basis. And we are trying to retain our global character as the tech sector today at a moment when almost all the pressures are towards nationalism, populism, unilateralism. And I think one of the great tests that we will face over not the next year, but the next 10 to 15 years, is can we continue to be successful on a global basis, or are we going to you know, see our industry fragment? And I think it is such a fundamental test of trust. What does it take to sustain trust around the world when people are not nearly as trusting as they used to be? All right, on that note, questions from the audience? Question. Ina Freed. <laughs> hey, Karen. Hey, Brad. Ina Freed with Axios. Um, you mentioned the impact that the antitrust had, the work you were doing at the time, people taking their eye off the ball and search and mobile. I'm curious what impact you think it's had more recently on the company. Is it too shy of putting things together? Did some of the ground it lost in Windows and Apple stem from the processes that came in place, so the later impact on the company? Well, it's a really interesting question when you look back today at what Windows was in the 90s or even what it is today. Uh, because you, know, you, you think about uh, you know, what we designed and were then in, in part forced to continue because of antitrust regulations. We were forced to ensure that actually somebody else's browser could be more popular than our browser on our own operating system. That's called Chrome. That somebody else's search engine could be more popular than our own search engine uh, you know, uh, on Windows. That's called Google and Search. And then you look at Apple and, and its approach to iOS, or you, took, you look at Google and its approach to Android, and, and, and you just look at the general approach of having app stores, and you see platforms that are much more uh, curated. Uh, and yeah, it, it, because the status quo was sort of established by regulation for Windows, it has required a lot more work and a slower pace and even a more measured approach just to get an app store really successful uh, on Windows the way we're striving to do. So yeah, the, the reality is once you make your bed and the regulators force you to keep lying in it, um, you may look across at the, uh, you know, the hotel across the street and say, wow, you know, I wish we could design our rooms that way. And you, you don't necessarily have that opportunity. Thanks, Brad. Hi, Brad. Luther Lowe from Yelp. And sorry to keep drilling on this uh, particular point, but it's been a very hot debate recently in nerdy antitrust uh, conferences. So it sounds like you're suggesting that antitrust enforcement against big tech firms can have an oxygenating effect on the markets. And you implied that search could have potentially been uh, an area where, for example, where uh, Windows had 90% market share, could have said, well, why don't we create, you know, let's look at the back page algorithm, throw some research money at that, and uh, make that the default search. Um, do you agree with that, uh, that, that antitrust oxygen, oxygenates the markets? 
Well, I, I would say two things that I think are interesting to think about in the world today. One is, look, I, I believe that antitrust continues to play an important role. Antitrust enforcement continues to play an important role. I'm not you know, here to take a position on you know, a case that we frankly settled a few years ago you know, with our friends at Google. Um, so just set that aside. I think there's a second dimension that is uh, a potentially broad applicability um, or a potential impact for everybody. Antitrust cases basically are brought a case at a time against a company at a time. And then there are other issues that lead to broad sectoral regulation. You know, privacy, the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, is in effect a, a broad sectoral regulation of the entire economy, but with a particular impact on tech. Uh, if you look historically at where regulations emerged, especially, say, in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s in the United States, you know, the, the radio was regulated, television was regulated. The one thing that has not been regulated is the internet. And you know, I think you start, we're starting to see you know, some companies that are more in the, 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 the network business argue for sectoral over-the-top regulation. And so one should think about antitrust, but more and more these broad issues, these broad concerns that people have, we either address them and we resolve their concerns, or I think we'll see rising pressure for, for more sweeping sectoral regulation in ways that will be very challenging for many more companies than an antitrust case will be. All right, good answer. Last question, Don. Brad, Don Graham. You hey, Don. are one of maybe three, four people that you could call the co-captain of the team on the issues swirling around DACA, DACA and related issues. There still are attempts at action in Congress. There's one going on right now this week. You gave a good set of reasons for pessimism that anything will happen this year. But what should the people advocating your side of the issue be hoping for? What, be, be optimistic for a moment. If a solution's gonna be reached, how can that be? And how can the people in this audience who agree with you reach out to their members and their senators and, yeah. and push for something? Great questions, Don. Number one, there's only one place where a solution can come, and that's in Congress. Of course, it will take Congress and the White House ultimately to do it together. Number two, by definition, any solution will have to have something for both sides. So it's got to offer protection for the dreamers, and it's got to offer some element of reasonable border security, although I would hope that it would be border security that would not come at the expense of children and their legal rights. Um, but I think that there is the makings for a compromise, and you know, there has been for months. The question is not whether there is a deal. It is whether there is the political will to embrace it. And I think that what we can all do is at least ensure that our voices are heard to advocate for that kind of coming together. And by definition, you know, if you're in California, it's like you know, use your voice in California. But you know, if you if you have relatives in Ohio or Pennsylvania or somewhere else, encourage them to use their voice as well. Because at the end of the day, I just feel like we've got to stop putting this political theater, well-chosen words above the practical needs of so many real people who have never, in many instances, known any life in any country other than this one. It's just a national and humanitarian tragedy if we fail to let this opportunity come forward in a way that protects them. 
answer. Um, if you have two seconds, we just have got to get bring on Linda. Well, I'm one of the few Europeans here in uh, the audience, I think. So my question is, uh, you talked a lot about responsibility. Uh, when are the tech industry in the U.S. going to pay tax in Europe? Um, the, I, you know, I was in Brussels last Friday for the uh, GDPR birthday, uh, and yeah. You know, now that was fun, right? Yeah. It's, uh, the, let me say two things. Let me say two things. The you know, people don't decide what taxes they pay. Governments decide what taxes people pay. Uh, it, look, it, it, I, I don't know I too don't many. I agree with that. Yeah, well, fair enough, but I don't know too many people who you know get their tax bill and say, well, you know, I'm going to pay three times what I owe because I love the government so much. I don't think you see that in the United States, and I don't see, I don't think you see that in other places. But apropos your your fundamental point, I do think the political winds are blowing from a different direction in Paris. Say, you know, if you listen to what President Macron had to, to say last week, you know, at VivaTech and around that, uh, I think that we are likely to see you know, new digital tax proposals, and I think that we may well see a day um, when uh, we'll see digital tax proposals adopted. And yeah, ultimately, I don't think it's a worse world if companies pay, you know, a, a reasonable sum in the countries where they generate income. Uh, I, there's a huge amount of complexity to be sorted out on an international basis. Um, but you know, it, it, when governments see companies generating large amounts of income in their country, but paying modest tax, you, it's one of those things where it's like, that's a day when you gotta look in the mirror and see yourself not the way you hope you look, but the way other governments see you instead. Mm -hmm. Great, perfect, thank you for that question. Brad, thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this interview from the Code Conference 2018. We'll be releasing all of the interviews from this year's event in this podcast feed and on Peter Kafka's show, Recode Media. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Recode Media with Peter Kafka to hear interviews with people like 21st Century Fox CEO James Murdoch, Spotify CEO Daniel Ek, and Facebook COO and CTO Sheryl Sandberg and Mike Schrepfer. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. And don't miss my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. You can find that show and Recode Media wherever you listen to Recode Decode. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then. Our sister site, Vox, has a new show on Netflix. We've been singing its praises for a few weeks now. It's called Explained, and every episode is a 15-minute deep dive into one important topic. This week, that topic is the stock market. I got an early preview, and I think you'll love it. It explores the questions, how does the stock market work? And what does it actually measure? It explains why the stock market is booming, even though the average family's net worth still hasn't recovered from the Great Recession. It explains the difference between the stock market and the health of the economy. It also features a lemonade stand. Really, it's amazing. So go find it on Netflix when you get home tonight. You can search for Vox or go straight to netflix.com slash explained. Explained.